Let's pray, shall we? Father, we have already sung in prayer our deep thankfulness. We recognize that everything that we have and all that we are is due to your amazing grace, your, uh, your creative power, uh, your sustaining work in all creation. And we thank you for this great privilege that you, the God who made us, the God who's transcendent above all things, yet you have chosen to personally speak to us and reveal yourself to us in the Lord Jesus Christ and in your word. So please now open our hearts to receive that word. Would you change them from being stiff and stubborn to being soft and obedient? And Lord, teach us what it is that we may glorify you in this city of Edinburgh and wherever we've come from today. In Christ's precious name, amen. I once heard of a church that put on a men's event and the topic of uh, a title was given in this way how to have a wife that treats you like a king. And uh, it, it, it created great interest. And the men's event was a pack out. Uh, the men jostled to get in the doors and sat down to, to, to hear this topic, how to get your wife to treat you like a king. And the speaker rose to his feet and gave this stunning insight. Do you know what? Do you want to hear it? Are you interested? Well, it's quite simple. If you want your wife to treat you like a king, you treat her like a queen. Now, if you want uh, more specific advice than that, then please open your Bibles to 1 Peter. Uh, Page 1,219. Uh, We have found ourselves in chapter 3 over the last few weeks. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 3. Page 1,219 in the Church Bibles. And let's uh, read the verses that we examined last week and read from verses 1 down to 7. Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the words, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives, when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as braided hair and the wearing of gold, jewelry, and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past, who put their hope in God, used to make themselves beautiful. They were submissive to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her master. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. This is God's word. As we began to examine this last week and and looked at the first six verses and what it had to say to wives, uh, we have to acknowledge that that what is here seems pretty alien and strange to people in our current culture. That is because, in truth, our culture is all messed up. And uh, we we, we began to see the the, the ways that um, our culture is beginning to kind of 
lose its direction. But for many decades now, um, sex has been detached from marriage. Cohabitation has been on the increase. No fault divorce. And uh, now the homosexual agenda has, has, in a sense, completely obscured uh, and eroded this biblical idea that uh, marriage is a lifelong union between a man and a woman. And in abandoning this Christian teaching, uh, our society is disintegrating. Uh, on lots of different measures, you can see this. Um, but for, for example, it's interesting to me to see the increasing concern by non-Christian uh, opinion writers in the newspapers uh, about the disastrous impact of pornography on people having genuine relationships. There's genuine alarm being expressed. And also just to see the ways that uh, as young people are forming their ideas of what sexual behavior is like by looking at the pornographic industry, um, they, are, they are bringing into relationships that which is, would have been considered by general society as perverse and degraded. Uh, there was a terrible report from the Office of the Children's Commissioners this last week, which talked about the sexual exploitation of children and the alarming rates for sexual violence amongst gangs in the UK, with uh, rape and sexual abuse becoming common in our society. And all of this is to be expected, I think, as our culture reverts to a kind of a pre-Christian pagan society. And so, yes, this teaching does sound pretty weird and strange today. But then let's be real. Our society is pretty messed up and weird. And actually, this teaching is directed to those who are aliens. Look back to chapter 2, verse 11. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world. This is, this is who we now are as God's people since we've come to Christ. In a sense, we've become citizens of a heavenly kingdom. And so now we live in this culture, as it were, as, uh, as foreigners, as aliens and as strangers. And this is how he addresses them. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. See, we mustn't conform to the, the values and distorted views of our society. But instead, we should conduct ourselves in a way that glorifies God. And I, I don't know whether you, you realize this, but actually marriage is not primarily there to make us feel fulfilled and happy and to complete us. Uh, the Christian views marriage as the avenue by which we glorify God. That is our primary concern. And as we have a desire to glorify God in our marriage, as we, in, as we seek to obey these verses, we will do good in our society that may cause others to glorify God. We are to conduct our marriages in such a way that it draws attention to our great God and to our glorious Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I think I shared this story with you in the past, but... I did my theology in Sydney, Australia, and one of, the, 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 one of my new friends there, one of my mates in Australia, I, I'm, I'm feeling a bit sore about Australia right now after yesterday as a Welshman, but I still love Australians. But this guy, Greg, um, he seemed to have an idyllic life growing up in Australia. 
his basic choice was whether he should go scuba diving or surfing. That was his basic you know, wake-up decision. And, but what was interesting about Greg was not about all the sharks that he had swam with, but that was fascinating, but it was how he became a Christian. Um, the biggest impact that led him to Christian faith was not an intellectual argument. It was observing the marriage of his uh, girlfriend's parents who were Christians. He had grown up um, in a pretty dysfunctional family. I think his mom and dad had about five marriages between them before they got together. And he observed them, in a sense, just arguing bitterly until they too got divorced. But her parents were totally different. He used to love going around to their house. He used to love observing the way they related as husband and wife. Uh, The genuine love and concern. There was honor and respect. There were no bitter arguments. There was no violence. And he knew that Christianity had to be real because of the conduct of their lives. It made such an impact upon him. It caused him to be someone who ended up glorifying God. And he's now a pastor in Newcastle in uh, New South Wales in Australia. So last week we looked at these first six verses. uh, And uh, my summary point for that was that Christian women are called to submissively obey their husbands. And if you missed that and that outrages you, well, go back and listen to the talk. You can listen to it online. Um, this week, it's, it, the focus is on the men in verse 7. And here's my main point this morning. Christian men are called to considerate leadership that honors their wives. Let me say it again because it's the main point. Christian men are called to considerate leadership that honors their wives. Now let's look at the text together, see if it says that. Look at verse 7. Husbands, in the same way. Now stop for a moment and think. How would you finish that sentence? Husbands, in the same way. What would you imagine he would say next? Um, There's been a pattern, hasn't there? So look back at uh, chapter 2, verse 13. Submit yourselves, for the Lord's sake, to every authority uh, instituted among men, whether to the king as a supreme authority or to governors, and so it goes on. Submit yourselves to the Lord's sake. Uh, 3 verse 18, slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect. 3 verse 1, wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands. And so what do we expect now as we come to 3 verse 7? Husbands, in the same way, we expect. But he doesn't say that, does he? It's quite interesting. He doesn't say, husbands, in the same way, be subject to your wives. Uh, And that should jump out at us. Husbands, in the same way, Be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect. And when you take these earlier verses into account, uh, all these verses about submission, it is clear that the husband's role, by implication, is to lead. He is to lead. Now, as men, we need to honestly assess how we're doing on this. And I think there are sins of omission as well as sins of commission. Uh, A concern that I do hear from uh, single Christian women is a frustration about the lack of men who seem to be willing to take on the responsibility of becoming husbands. Uh, And from married women, I hear too the frustration that their husbands uh, have become so passive in their homes and are not exercising 
the leadership that they would like to see. Too often, uh, we are like husbands in the movie The Incredibles. Have you seen that? The Incredibles? I love that cartoon. But there's a scene in it where the, the distracted husband is, uh, is, is, is in the home and he's distant. He's thinking about other things. The home is descending into chaos. His wife is trying to grab hold of the kids and she ends up shrieking at him. It's time to engage! And I think that that says something about the truth. So I want to say very clearly this morning that men are called by God to lead their wives and their families. Whether you feel equipped to do so or not, it is your job and your responsibility and it's been given to you as men. It's not an option for men. It is what the Lord expects. And I think one of the challenges that we face as men is that... uh, There's no easy way to earn money today. You have to work hard. And you come home from work and you think to yourselves, well, the work day is over. I'm going to get home, put my feet up, watch the telly and wait for my wife to serve me a delicious meal. And the problem with that idea is that we need to remind ourselves as we make our way home that our work is not yet done. Our greatest role awaits us as we go home to be a godly husband and if we have children a godly father but there's also been sins of commission and I guess the rise of feminism was in part a response to the sinful behavior of men who've exercised their leadership in a selfish domineering and harsh way and domestic violence is a terrible blight still in our culture in Scotland. And so please notice with me the sort of leadership that men are to exercise in marriage. It is considerate leadership that honors our wives. Now single men, high school men, I want you to stay awake. I want you to stay focused. Because this teaching for husbands is something that you should seek to start living out in an appropriate way for your situation right now. When you're offered responsibility, step up, take hold of it, and don't lay it down until it is done. Don't follow the pattern of perpetual immaturity that our culture seems to have, which just wants to play video games, consume entertainment, and avoid work at all costs. No, we need boys to grow up and be men. It is a good thing to get a job. It is a good thing to get a wife. And if you pay attention to what these verses have to say, I think it will help prepare you to be uh, a godly husband, and I believe it will make an attractive option as a potential husband. So let's think about these two parts. Considerate leadership to begin with. In the original language, in verse 7, it says something like this. Live together according to knowledge. Live together according to knowledge. Now, what sort of knowledge is it talking about? Well, any sort of knowledge that would strengthen the husband and wife relationship. And for sure, that means knowing God and knowing God's words. It'll mean understanding what the Bible has to say about the gospel and how it relates to marriage and our relationships. But I think, too, verse 7 is a call for husbands to really know their wives. Do you know your wife? 
Do you remember what it was like when you first met the woman that would become your wife? Do you remember those days? How delightful she was. How alluring. How fascinated you were to find out everything about this wonderful person that's come into your life. How eagerly you pursued her as a potential life partner. At that stage in life, most men are very motivated to know everything about their wife. Um, what does she like? What does she dislike? What does she like to go? What, is she, um, what does she like to do? What's, what are her opinions? Oh, please tell me what you think. What do you think about this? I'd love to hear. What is it that she fears? What is it that she delights in? But, tragically... A few years past the honeymoon, this does seem to change. And we lose sight of what a great treasure God has entrusted to us in a wife. But God's word here commands us to lead our wives on the basis of a deep, intimate understanding of the unique individual that God has given to us to love and honor and cherish and so men who are husbands here can I say to you do you know how your wife is getting on spiritually is she reading her bible is she praying is she enjoying her role as a wife Um, if you have children is she enjoying her role as a mother does she feel more like a mother than a wife if she has a career outside uh, the home how's it going um, what is she struggling with right now? What, what are her hopes and dreams? What are her fears? What is frustrating her? Uh, what does she delight in? Do you know? These are the sort of questions that we as husbands should be discovering about our wives. And the likelihood of a busy home with a young family is that there really is not a lot of time to have uninterrupted conversation in that way. And so I want to encourage to you uh, a practical thing called a date night. Uh, Plan in your diary two times a month, once a week, once a month if you're not doing it at all, a date night where you take her out, you arrange childcare, and you sit her down and you look her in the eyes and you start listening. You ask her these questions. Don't assume you know everything about your wife. My guess is you really don't. And she may have changed in the last 10 years since you last asked her these questions. (laughs) Get to know your wife. Considerate leadership that lives according to knowledge. And the other aspect to this is it is leadership that honors our wives. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives, and treat them with respect as the weaker partner. The first thing probably to get out of the way is that there's nothing demeaning here about being the weaker partner. I just think it's simply recognizing that physically, men, by and large, are normally stronger than their wives. Uh, Our society recognizes this. The Wimbledon games don't play men against women. Um, You have a men's tournament and a women's tournament. In athletics, uh, the men don't compete against the women. There's a men's track and there's a women's track. And the, and the speeds are slightly different because, by and large, men are stronger than women. It's just a, a nature of our physique. 
It could be also in other ways that uh, the wife could be more vulnerable in her role, perhaps by being a mother, by taking steps out of the workplace. She is uh, more economically disadvantaged and at threat if you were not to walk away from that relationship. Well, she should be aware that in a sense you may have more power, more influence by virtue of uh, your physique and where you're at. And certainly in the first century, the wife did not have the same rights as the husband. And yet Peter writes to these men and says, no, you need to honor and respect your wife. If there's any way in which a husband is stronger than his wife, he must not abuse his authority for selfish ends. And I want to say what I said last week, um, that God's word is clear that it is completely unacceptable for a husband to physically, emotionally, or sexually abuse his wife. Such a thing is wicked, and I do believe that it indicates that such a husband is in practice abandoning the marriage. And I don't think it is a godly thing for a woman to do to continue allowing her husband to continue in sins of, of, of such abuse. And if there are women who are experiencing anything like that, then you should get in touch with your elder, speak to someone on the staff team. Because the Bible is clear that the Christian husband, far from being someone who abuses his wife, is actually one who seeks to honor his wife. And in the original language, uh, it could be translated, uh, honor the feminine one. Um, we as husbands are actually called to bestow honor on our wives for all the ways that they are in fact different to us. Their very femininity is what we should honor. And our Old Testament readings today remind us that women are just as much made as in the image of God as men and so are equal in dignity and worth. God specifically and beautifully created a woman and after completing his work, he says, it's very good. And something that Adam was very quick to praise when he first saw her. Now, of course, we know in our sinful rebellion that... Uh, that that put pain and conflict between the man and the woman. And too often the battle of the sexes is something that continues even in Christian marriages. As husbands, too often we can make fun of our wives, uh, making negative and cutting remarks for all the ways that women are different to us. Uh, too often we get frustrated when our wives have different priorities and a, a different time schedule to us. And they do have a different time schedule. Why is that? I don't know. But actually, on closer reflection, we as men should, should look at these differences and see that they're actually a source, they should be a source of our praise and our affirmation. Now, I can only speak from the, my own failures as a husband at this point. There's been lots of opportunities this week to repent personally. Um, but to my shame, I've known times when I've mocked my wife as she's tried to talk to me about curtain materials and uh, color schemes. But the truth is, is that without Shiona, I would be living in a very drab, ugly bachelor pad. Because I did. I did. It was very ugly and it was very drab. And I do appreciate the beauty that she's brought into my life, into our family's life. Uh, I do. It is wonderful that she has cared about color schemes and cushions and curtains and all that sort of stuff that... Um, 
I, I don't get excited about, but I really appreciate that I live in it. And if there's one thing that uh, makes my wife really uptight and frustrated, and she's probably not unique in this, it is a messy house with a dirty floor. And if she's not happy, the household's not happy. But instead of being frustrated with her attitude, I should um, think instead back to the mess and the dirt I used to live in in my bachelor pad. How thankful I am that I do not live in such a home. And I should really be thankful and honor all the hard work that is done to make our home clean and a desirable place to live. I once heard a, a Christian uh, being interviewed, a Christian leader, I can't remember who now, and he spoke of the horror of realizing that he had spent 30 years of his life trying to turn his wife into a man by criticizing her and making fun of her. And when it dawned on him, what he'd been doing, he just thought, what an idiot. Why would you do that? Women are, are life creators and sustainers. Men make houses, but women make homes. They create beauty, nurture life. They show compassion. They care. They, there is a complexity in the emotional range that women have that's just an incredible thing to me. And, uh, and, and it's a profound commitment to, to sustaining relationships and connections and Christian husbands should be those that bestow honor upon their wives and we're also called to honor our wives not just because of her status in creation but also in redemption it says there as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life men and women are created equal and we are equally sinful and we equally need redemption and the wonder is that God sent his, his Son to save and redeem men and women. Galatians 3, listen to this. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And that's what Peter is referring to here. Women have the same spiritual status as men, co-heirs of the amazing inheritance of eternal life so I want to say to husbands today how often do our wives hear us express praise and thanks to them when was the last time that we uh, mentioned specific ways that she is worthy of honor and praise whether you're a man or a woman there's nothing so demoralizing and discouraging as a steady stream of criticism. And nothing is quite so devastating for a wife as a, a husband who publicly would demean her or criticize her before others. It can be done with a smile, with a joke, but is deadly to a marriage. And it, my observation would be that generally women are more sensitive and vulnerable to criticism and more easily crushed by harsh, discouraging words. But instead, as men, we should be cultivating ways that we can affirm, encourage, and praise our wives. To find ways that are, where we can actually show that we honor them, that we delight in them as women. And as I said last week, our job as husbands is not to enforce what it says about verses 1 to 6. The husband who pulls out, well, you've you got to submit to me, is a loser. And missed the whole point. 
Our job is to so obey verse 7 that it makes it easier for our wives to submit to our leadership. And good leaders take advice. Wise husbands need to listen to the counsel of their brides. And you know, if there are times in a marriage when after prayer and much thought, uh, you've made a decision that your wife is not happy about, uh, but you think it is what that you need to do before God, it'll make it so much easier for her to submit to your leadership, knowing uh, when she knows that beyond a shadow of a doubt that you honor her, that you respect her, and that you love her in the way that Christ loved the church. Well, I believe that that's biblical wisdom that will strengthen every marriage, but actually, that's not the motivation of Peter here primarily. He points out this, that this is something that we don't often think about, that we, we should do this so that, the end of verse 7, nothing will hinder your prayers. Now, man, just think about the assumption that's in this for a moment. The assumption is that we will be men of prayer. Uh, the assumption is that men will pray with their wives. It's plural. Nothing will hinder your plural prayers. And um, if we want to be men who are concerned not just about our relationship with our wives, but also about relationship with God, then we should, be, we should heed these verses very carefully. It seems that the relationship with God and the relationship with our wife is connected. Uh, your marriage, my marriage, really matters to God. Do we long for a vital relationship with God? Do we, do we desire to see our prayers answered? Then know this, if we are failing to provide considerate leadership that honors our wives, then part of God's discipline to wake us up will be that he will hinder the effectiveness of our prayers. Just look across to chapter 3, verse 12. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. See, to put it positively, another motive to us as men to provide loving, considerate leadership that honors our wives is to know that the Lord's ears will indeed be open to our prayers, for he delights in such righteous conduct. And such a marriage will not only glorify God, but I believe it will commend the gospel to others so that perhaps those around us who are not Christians might end up by observing our marriage coming to a point where they too will glorify God. Now to single women today, as I close up, I want to say to you this. Look for a man whom you can respect. Look for a man who will care about you physically, and spiritually, look for a man who will lead you to glorify God. It would be madness to choose to marry someone who's not a Christian, who doesn't love Jesus. They're not going to have their concern to lead you to glorify God. To single men, can I say to you today, be such a man. Be such a man. Start learning to be such a man now. You can respect and honor the women around you. Cultivate that. To husbands, I want to say, um, if 
you're a Christian, you're probably feeling some guilt. You know, you're probably aware of ways that you've sinned in this regard. I certainly have been as I've reflected on it this week. And to those who are aware that they're sinners, let me remind you, we have a great Savior. Look back at chapter 2 and verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. Do not despair as you become convicted of sin. Confess your sins to God. Come to the Lord Jesus Christ today. You can be forgiven of all your sins. Jesus willingly offered himself, the sinless one, to die for sinners. Come and ask his forgiveness today. Don't just be in despair in a funk. Come to Christ, repent of your sins, and know that this salvation has a purpose. Read on. So that we might die to sins and live for righteousness, by his wounds you have been healed. As we as men keep coming back, as it were, to the cross of Christ, as we keep coming to the cross, it will give us the the forgiveness that we need and it will give us the motivating power that we need that we will not continue in sin, but that we would pursue righteousness. It is this cross that is bringing healing into our relationships. The truth is that we're all messed up by sin. And this cross brings healing and redemption to sinners who will humble themselves and receive Christ as their Lord. And you can do that this very day. If it's for the first time, you can do it today. If you're freshly convicted of sin, do it today. And then I would encourage you um, this week to spend some time recalling ways in which your wife is a specific blessing to you. Think about your wife. Spend some time in prayer before God. Thank God specifically for ways that you see God's grace in her life, the way she blesses your life. Spend some time doing that. And why don't you write them down? And why don't you plan to take your wife out somewhere and look her in the eyeballs and share with her what you thanked God for? Let that be your first date night uh, sometime in December. Look her in the eyes. Let her know. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, help every man and woman, husband and wife, to live in a way that pleases you. In this fallen world, where distortion of your words and ways abound, have mercy. Where wicked acts against women are still being perpetrated, bring relief, healing, and judgment. In Jesus' name we pray.